In this episode, we will take a look at meeting etiquette, challenging you to rethink your approach to meetings regardless of your meeting role. Starting with the crucial aspect of mindset, we're going to explore how adopting a collective perspective can transform the impact of your meetings. We're going to decode the contentious issue of cameras on or cameras off, and we're going to talk about working with dominating personalities with tact. Are you ready to 10x your meeting etiquette? Let's dive in. Welcome, meeting makers. I'm your host, Lauren Green, meeting coach and facilitation trainer, here to help you unsuck your meetings one episode at a time. I've helped hundreds of professionals and organizations through leading inclusive, engaging, and productive meetings. And now I'm offering this podcast to help you do the same. Think of this podcast as an ongoing workshop where each time you tune in, you'll get a bite-sized nugget of knowledge you can apply right away. If you lead meetings or might someday, you're in the right place. Let's make your meetings work. We've all been there, meeting makers, suffering the consequences of poorly run meetings. But what if you could decode the secrets of effective meetings even when you don't hold the reins? In today's episode, we're going to dive headfirst into the realm of meeting etiquette. We hope that as you're listening to these tips, you one, think of someone who needs to hear them, and two, take ownership of the things that you could do a bit better. You might think to yourself, why should I have to do better when everyone else has their cameras off or is sending private messages about how much this meeting sucks? Well, that's called conformity bias, and it's a flawed mindset. Guess what? You're the one listening to this podcast, and they aren't. When you clicked this episode, you opted in, meeting makers. Some part of you wants to be a part of making your meetings work. You can't control other people, so no matter what others are doing, you do you, and you can do better. In the world of meeting etiquette, mindset is where it all begins. As we step into those conference rooms or virtual spaces, we often carry our individual agendas eager to accomplish our own goals. But the mark of a great meeting participant lies in your ability to transcend your personal objectives and embrace a broader perspective. Imagine this. Not only do you come prepared with what you want to get out of the meeting, but you also expand your awareness to the collective needs of the group. It's all about recognizing that everyone around the table, from meeting leaders to your fellow participants, holds their own set of priorities, the same as you. So remember, it all starts with the right mindset, one that embraces both your goals and the collective needs of the group. Next, let's talk about getting present. We have all heard this term thrown around probably in your weekly yoga class, but it is rarely applied to meetings. What happens when you're not present in meetings? You're likely checking email, social media, or getting other work done, and therefore you're missing potentially valuable information. And what happens when you miss that information? Your work can be impacted and affect the people who rely on your work. Ultimately, it just leads to more meetings to repeat the information that you missed. If everyone is focused in meetings, they go faster, and people retain more information and there is less need for extra meetings. Not being present in meetings is sort of like choosing not to vote. No one can force you to do it, but by not voting, 
you're opting out of your role in decisions that impact you and your team. So how can you get more present in meetings? First, stop scheduling your meetings back to back so you're not constantly running into meeting after meeting late, unprepared, and distracted by what's happening in the last meeting. I'm a big fan of 25, 45, or 55-minute meetings to give yourself just a few minutes between meetings to write down your actions, grab a quick drink of water, stand up and stretch, respond to urgent messages, or think about what questions you have for your next call. Then turn your phone over, close that email, turn your camera on for Pete's sake, and put a smile on your face. Now let's stay on the cameras on thing for a moment. People seem to have a lot of feelings about cameras, and I've seen groups come up with all kinds of silent camera norms. I get it. You're taking calls from your bedroom and you didn't make the bed this morning. You haven't had time to put your makeup on, maybe you're eating, or everyone else has their cameras off, so why should you have yours on? If you listen to season two, you know that, according to Albert Morabian, 55% of meaning is relayed through the body. If you don't have your camera on, it's sort of like saying you don't care about being understood. Who cares if everyone else is off camera? If you model the behavior, it gives people permission to do the same. It may not happen in this meeting or the next or the one after that, but everyone loves an influencer. This is your moment, meeting maker. Turn on your camera and show off that beautiful, unmakeuped face with Cheeto dust on your chin. Wear it with pride, and remember that features like blurring your background and touch up my appearance are there to make you feel more confident when your camera is on. Now, if you're really nervous about taking on this rather small moment of meeting heroism, turn it into a joke. You could say, hey guys, I'm feeling a bit lonely being the only one on camera. Can anyone help me out? We are wired to want to offer help when it's asked for so it's almost guaranteed to work. Here's what not to do. Don't require or force cameras to be on. If you say, everyone must turn their camera on, it sets a tone of authority which can limit constructive conversation. Try this instead. I always appreciate seeing people on camera because it helps me have better conversations. But if you can't be on camera, I'll just assume there's a bandwidth issue and no worries. Give people choice and agency. This one takes time, so give it a few meetings, maybe a few months, but you can change this behavior through modeling. I get this one all the time. What can I do as a participant when I see someone dominating the conversation by being long-winded, talking over someone, and interrupting a lot? Ugh, I hate that. And it bugs me too. You have no idea. If you see this behavior, you can address it with a redirect. Don't say, hey, Bob, you're being a jerk to Taylor. She's trying to speak. First off, rude. And also, you probably embarrassed Bob, and you've made it harder for him to adjust this behavior. To redirect, instead of focusing on Bob, find someone you haven't heard from in a while and ask them if they have any thoughts. Sorry to interrupt, Bob. Taylor, it seems like you had something you wanted to add. If you're the one being talked over, sometimes you need to make space for yourself. This requires bravery, especially if you tend to be a more reflective personality type. Think about what your needs are. Time to process, 
understanding from the dominator, acknowledgement of your efforts, then ask for it. It might be best to do this outside of the meeting as a one-on-one conversation before or after. Our friend Taylor, back from earlier this season, could say something like, Hey Bob, I appreciate your thoughts in the meetings, but sometimes you can be a little long-winded and I feel like I don't have the time or space to respond. What would you think about taking a few pauses to give me space to think and respond better during the meetings? For the record, that was called an I statement, and it's a technique that goes back to the 1950s and counseling sessions. When you do, name the behavior, I feel or the impact on me is, then a suggestion formed in a question. What if we tried this? Would this be okay? For more techniques like I statements, we're linking to a blog on setting boundaries in the description. Now, what if you are the dominator? First off, hat tip to you for having this self-awareness. Most people don't recognize that they are the one causing this problem, and it's generally unintentional. Changing a behavior is like changing any habit. It takes intentional effort at first, but over time, it will get easier. A neat trick I learned from facilitation trainer Ray Ringel is the three before me rule. Wait for three people to talk before you speak again. And if that seems too hard, try two before you. If you know you tend to ramble, try writing down your thoughts first. When you write down what you want to say, you're more likely to get to your point faster and give others time to speak up. Ask more questions. That one applies to everyone. Meetings are supposed to be collaborative, and you can't collaborate without curiosity about what others are thinking. If you're always the one with an opinion, start being the one that asks other people for their opinion first. The results might surprise you. You might even discover that you get more buy-in on your ideas. If you need help with what to ask, our next episode Help Your Meetings Work Part 1 on Verbal Tools has some excellent guidance on asking better questions. But a really easy way to start is by putting on your best Columbo impression. You know, Columbo, the popular American television detective series known for its distinctive format. It features the character Lieutenant Columbo, who solves complex murder cases through his seemingly unassuming and persistent investigative style. In short, Columbo is super smart, but he has no ego, so he's totally cool with asking the dumb questions. He knows that by asking the dumb question, key details will be revealed and it will build understanding. Here are some classic Columbo-style questions that you can try. I noticed something you said earlier. Could you explain that again? Could you tell me more about what you meant by that? Can you explain to me again what you were doing at the exact time of the murder? Okay, that last one was not in the context of meetings, but you get the idea. Have you got a Bob in your life? Send him this episode with a message, I thought you'd like this one. And if you're the Bob, hey buddy, it's come to my attention that your meeting behavior could use some unsucking. Please try some of these tips and stop making your meetings suck. In short, whether you're the one who talks a lot or the one who stays silent, self-growth is all about trying something new. So in your next meeting, experiment with the opposite of your typical behavior and see how that impacts the dynamics of the group. 
Facilitation and meeting skills are life skills, and they are often so easy to understand and implement that you'll be wondering why you didn't first learn them in grade school. If you're ready to make meeting skills a core competency in your organization, we recommend our meeting coaching program, one-on-one or team sessions with a certified coach and meeting expert who will partner with you to design your meeting, prepare you to facilitate with confidence, and mature your meeting practices within your organization. If you love this podcast and want a one-on-one customized coach approach, visit makemeetings.work forward slash contact to partner with us and make your meetings work. Have you ever been in a meeting where you're about to end and somebody jumps in with a new idea? Everyone rolls their eyes thinking, there goes Megan again. What about when you're in a brainstorm and Jerry starts criticizing every idea but doesn't offer any new ideas? These are common meeting scenarios where the actions of participants do not match the stage of the meeting they are in. Back in Season 1, Episode 4, we talked about the Open, Refine, Close model, also known as the Diverge and Converge model from Sam Kaner's A Facilitator's Guide to Participatory Decision-Making. Yep, that book again. It's truly one of our faves, and if you don't remember, here's a quick refresher. In a meeting, we have diverging conversations that open the discussion. This can be thought of like opening the faucet, where we bring out as many ideas as possible. We also have converging or closing conversations, where we're trying to land on that one final decision. And then there's everything that happens in between, which Kaner calls the groan zone, but I prefer the word refine where we build a deeper understanding around those ideas. So recognize that at any point of a meeting, the team is trying to do one of these three things, open, refine, or close. If you sense that the group is opening, then ask more open-ended questions and try to draw out ideas from others. Again, check out our next episode for more on this. If you recognize the group is opening, don't be a Jerry criticizing all of the ideas. Sit tight, Jerry. Your moment is coming. We need you in the refine section. During refine, you can help the conversation by asking questions or making observations about how ideas might be connected. Honestly, the single best thing you could do during the refine section is open up a shared document or share your screen and start taking notes in a visual way. Research shows that seeing ideas in a visual way helps people make connections and build understanding. We will talk more about the role of a note-taker in Episode 8, where we will dive into support roles in meetings. If you sense the group is closing, you can start asking closed-ended questions. An example is, have we heard all of the ideas? Are there any objections to that? If you recognize the group is in close, don't be a Megan that goes, well, we haven't thought about such and such. Save it for the next meeting if it can wait, so the meeting can come to a close. The best thing you can do is ask, what are we agreeing to and what are our next steps? Ensuring that everyone leaves on the same page is a critical part of ensuring momentum continues. Suggest the group pause two to five minutes before the end of the scheduled meeting to ask this question about next steps. Back in episode two on how people work, we talked about the Myers-Briggs. 
People who have a preference in judgment doesn't mean that they're judgy, but they tend to have a preference to want to come to a close and get to execution. People who have a preference for perception want to keep things open and spontaneous, and they're really dynamite brainstormers. What this means is that if you're a natural opener, being a good closer will make you feel more tired. And if you're a natural closer, being a good opener will wear you out a bit. Recognize that this is normal. Whatever we're not as good at takes more energy, but by practicing our non-dominant skills, we can be better in service of the group. I want to leave you with a couple of bonus tips. If you're someone who tends to do a lot of private messaging to colleagues during the meeting, try to tone that down. When you message people privately, it creates a hidden element of the meeting that doesn't support collaboration. It promotes secrecy. Ask yourself instead, what is the reason I'm private messaging someone? Is it because I'm afraid to speak up? And why is that the case? Many times, we're afraid to speak up, so we send our thoughts in an unconstructive medium like private chat. But now we've given you lots of ways that you can safely offer your thoughts through asking a question or making space for others that help draw out what's hiding beneath the surface in a safe way. Chances are, if you're sending private messages, something about what you have to say is important to the larger group, but you need to figure out a way to voice that constructively. We've got some tips on how to constructively voice thoughts in our blog on self-affirmations and setting boundaries with others, which we're going to link to in the description. And on that note of private messaging, if you're in a meeting where chat is anonymous, spare the speaker unkind heckling. This is just another form of cyberbullying. It's not helpful. It's not constructive. Ask a question that will enable a constructive response that you can actually learn from. Lastly, don't go it alone. Everyone needs a friend at work, especially in dysfunctional cultures, and having a buddy to try some of these behaviors with either to practice or in the actual meetings will help you to stay accountable to modeling good meeting etiquette for others. We know that you know about a dozen or more people who need to hear this episode right now. So please help us spread our mission to end sucky meetings by sending this episode to at least one friend or colleague who you think could learn a bit from these tips. In the next two episodes, we're going to dive into even more actionable tips that you can use to help your meetings run better and smoother, be more productive and impactful, and overall just suck less. Let's make your meetings work. This podcast was written by Lauren Green and produced by Caitlin Murray. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to rate and review so future meeting makers can find our community. Download a visual summary of this episode in the description and be sure to join the conversation in our Meeting Makers Facebook group. You can find our next Meeting Makers Academy workshop on our website at www.makemeetings.work forward slash academy. Want help with your next meeting? Reach out at makemeetings.work forward slash contact and we'll set up time to chat. Thank you.